I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. (laughs) You can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. Welcome back, everybody, to the Important Nonsense Podcast. 32 teams in 32 days, breaking down every team in the NFL for you, getting you ready for the 2021 fantasy football season. My name is Neil Smith, joined, as always, by Mr. Steve Bonham. Howdy. Oh, howdy was for the Cowboys. I don't know what they say. I, I, I mix in howdies every once in a while. It's all right. It's fine. <laughs> uh, well, as always, we're going to be breaking down a team for you today, and we have... Uh, we will be referencing the Fantasy Pros ECR. We'll also be referencing our own collateral, which you can find at importantnonsense.com. Also, check out importantnonsense.com slash Patreon. If you like what you hear, help us keep the lights on. And today, oh, and as always, we are recording on July 31st. So if anything that we mentioned here sounds dated, that would be why. So check the wrap-up show, the update show that we'll be posting before the season kicks off, just so that we can update anything that may happen between when we record and getting you before the season actually starts. As always, make sure you... We really recommend drafting Labor Day weekend, folks. Don't don't draft early. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty much the way to do it. It's usually the way to go. Uh, so today, we're going to sit down and talk about the Detroit Lions. So this might be a quick show. <laughs> If you, as Steve put it, hope so. As Steve put it yesterday, if you've got five minutes, we're going to talk about Detroit. So, what happened? This is such a mess. Okay, so in the off season, Matt Stafford is dealt. He's out of there. No more Matt Stafford. He's out in L.A. and taking his place for for your Detroit Lions in 2021. Jared Goff. Ooh boy! Everybody get excited about. They did it. They did it. They fixed their problem. The Lions are effectively going through a full regime change, and it's basically a total teardown and rebuild over there with the departure of Matt Patricia and the hiring of Mr. Dan Campbell, who if you don't follow on the internet, I recommend you do. That gentleman is highly entertaining. Uh, I hope at some point that they do a hard knocks uh, because I would love to to watch him uh, in his element because he seems hugely entertaining. Uh, but they're they're trying to rebuild it from the inside out as we talked about during our draft coverage they're actually doing it in i think a very smart way where they've spent a lot on their o-line and their d-line trying to try and build this whole thing with the big guys and it's a smart play when you can do it that way and get get those folks under cheap contracts because it'll eventually allow you to uh build out get the outside skill position players taken care of once you actually have a real quarterback no offense to mr goff although if you follow my work over the years, you know I don't think very much of Jared Goff in general. <laughs> you know the offense is meant. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, not my favorite topic, Mr. Goff's career. But there's there's a lot of departures and not much in the way of ads. Uh, we'll just rip this Band-Aid off right now. We're not going to talk about that defense much because that defense is not useful for fantasy football purposes. Uh, their defense is going to be atrocious again in, in, all, in all likelihood. So not something that you have any any use for. Because of that, they will have plenty of opportunity to try and get out there on the field to play some offense for you. Unfortunately, they don't have anybody except for like one man who we'll get into here momentarily that I would feel, well, two, two, two men who I feel will really have any kind of useful value when they are on offense. So from the top, 
we already referenced it. Jared Goff coming in, taking over the reins from fantasy purposes. It's a big, so what, right? You and I agree on this. It's a big, so what? Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, to be fair, they are going to throw the ball and depending on the scoring format, he will have value at backup. He'll have value for bye weeks. He'll have value in super flex. That's about it. You don't want him as your regular starter. Yep. He is in the, oh, I waited on quarterback and now I need some kind of like double dip backup fill in. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared Goff is really that he's in that territory for a reason. I'm not expecting big things and he is going to struggle because of the lack of weapons around him. So usually at this, so really that's all there is to say about, about Jared Goff. It's, it's just very meh. And it's like, eh, he might get you something certain weeks. You can stream him. You can keep him as a backup. No, don't expect anything more than that. But really the, the conversation here, we usually talk about what matters at this point. Right. And to me, what matters is Deandre Swift. That's, yeah. that's the thing that matters as far as the lions are concerned. And this has been a very interesting offseason as far as the hype train and then de-hype train that I have been watching with DeAndre Swift. So have you noticed the same thing? Mm-hmm. It's, it started out as he was guaranteed top 10, that they were going to just force feed him the ball, that he was going to be the guy and absolutely the running back that you want to break out this year. And all of a sudden, in the ECR, he's running back 15. In ADP, he's running back 15. He has been faded into RB2 territory, faded to oblivion for really no fault of his own, and I'm not understanding why. I think part of it might be because in the offseason, they did bring in Jamal Williams, and there's been a lot of positive buzz around Jamal Williams, especially recently coming out of camp. There's a lot of reports saying that Dan Campbell views Jamal Williams as a true A-back and that he views this as more of a time, uh, a committee, I should say, between Swift and Williams. I don't know how much truth there is to some of that, but I think that might be why we're experiencing the slide in DeAndre Swift. I can tell you me personally, I still have DeAndre Swift in my rankings as RB13, and I see no reason to change that. All I did was move Jamal Williams up because that team is going to be so bad that there is absolutely going to be enough opportunity for two running backs to succeed in that offense. Because as we'll get to when we talk about wide receiver, who are they competing against and what meaningful games will the lions be in? Right. So who cares? This is going to, this, this to me already has the feel of the back half of the 2020 Bengals season where it just didn't matter. And so because of that, you end up in a situation where you don't really, it's hard to trust anything, but as far as running backs go, I think Swift is being, undervalued at this point. I was expecting when we started this process to never be able to have any shares this year of DeAndre right. Swift because the hype, cha- hype train would go way off the rails. And now I'm finding myself with DeAndre Swift in a lot of mock drafts that we're doing. And I think people are scared and I'm just not, I don't, I don't view it that way. I don't think Jamal Williams, he's a good player. We love yeah. Jamal Williams historically, but I don't yep. think he's good enough to meaningfully steal from DeAndre. Well, and even that's the thing too, is with Swift, even in best ball right now, he's going at RB 15. Like it's consistent across the board. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And you talked about our guy, Jamal Williams. Like, look, he's going to get work. They signed him from the Packers for a reason. And it's not just because he's a former Packer. Like he's going, he fits what they want to do. He's a good pass catching back. But I think that kind of tells you everything. They don't want Swift to have to run between the tackles and when are they going to have that opportunity? They brought in a guy like Williams because they're going to play up tempo. They're going to have to pass the ball a ton because they're constantly going to be chasing points. And now they have two 
running backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield and feel good about it. And Williams will move out into the slot some as well, too. So they're both going to get work. I've got Jamal Williams in the mid-30s. I think he's one of those guys that has a role all to himself, but also has extreme value as a very good backup to be potentially the guy if something happened to Swift. I'm in the same boat. I've got uh, I've got Jamal I've got Jamal Williams up there in the mid 30s. He started off the season somewhere down in the 40s, but given all the positive spin and the buzz, and frankly just the lack of other options in Detroit, I moved him up. I've got him in the, at uh, in my own rankings at running back 34. He's right there with the Michael Michael Carters of the world, the James yep. Connors. Mm-hmm. He's right in that neighborhood. The Javante Williams from yesterday's what will be in your ears yesterday's show. Uh, that is uh, that's just the way the way it's going right now. And I think that that's completely justified given all the positive buzz and just wide receiver. It's so hard to explain to people and we're going to have to try in a moment. I'm not really sure how to unpack it, how bad Detroit's wide receiver situation is. So they're going to be throwing and they're going to be throwing to the backs. Uh, I believe. And well, I that's think- the thing. Like we're, we're in this territory too. This is why you do tier based drafting, right? Like, you rank all these guys how you would feel comfortable with them. I think that DeAndre Swift is one of these guys that has the potential to be a top 10 back, could be the number one back if he's given the workload, but that's never been the MO in Detroit. I understand it's a new regime and that you know we're kind of starting fresh and starting over there, but at the same time, you've got a guy in Swift who's extremely talented. Remember, he was my number one guy coming out last year. Number two was Jonathan Taylor. And I still don't regret that. I still think they were the best two available on the board. But Swift is a guy who can do everything. He can catch the ball. He can run effectively between the tackles. He can get you that touchdown at the goal line, which not a lot of these scat backs can do. So Swift is an extremely talented guy. I've got him in line basically with ADP and consensus. But he's in this tier with Carson, Gibson, Mixon, Chubb of guys where if I get him as my RB1, I feel pretty decent about it. If I feel get him as my RB2, I feel great. And based on his current ADP, you can do that at a relatively cheap cost. He's going at the top end of the third round right now. So I can get DeAndre Swift. You know, I can essentially have a top three pick, get a Dalvin Cook, get a Derrick Henry, get a Christian McCaffrey, and be able to come back, get DeAndre Swift and a receiver, and just feel like I've I've started off my team very well. And that's that's how I feel about it as well. So, and I guess the only other thing to discuss about it then is how do you feel about rostering both? Would you would you be interested in that as as you go into your draft? Just get them both, since you can get a kind of a little bit of a value on where we have DeAndre Swift. Maybe be willing to have Jamal Williams just in case something was to happen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, norm again, I, I normally steer away from handcuffs because I'd rather have a player on my roster that's viable that's why I'm bringing this that's why I'm bringing this up. The other way to ask this question is is do you view Jamal Williams as more than a handcuff and worthy of being rostering both in to in me, a- Jamal Williams is the clear-cut handcuff, but has a role. I find it hard to believe on a weekly basis he's going to have enough fantasy value to be a flex or to have some kind of use. But when you're talking about a guy like Williams and the talent and the upside, he's a top 20 player if Swift is out and it's just his job. And right now in ADP, he's going at running back 45. Exactly. exactly. So he, you can have him at an extreme discount compared to where we think he should be 
which is right outside of the potential starting running backs. So uh, yeah, at this point, if, if I can get Jamal Williams to pair with Deandre Swift, I feel great about it. If I don't already have Deandre Swift, do I want Jamal Williams as my fourth or fifth running back? Probably. I'm all right yeah, with that. It's exactly. just I don't want to pay a premium to do it. And right uh, now you don't have to. Exactly. So one of my strategies going into a lot of the mocks I've been doing recently is actually to just get both guys. Just take them both. You can have yep. Swift as your RB2, and then you can get Williams later on in your draft at a value, and you build out a nice little running back room for yourself. And you don't have to do much, and they're they're both going to have a lot of value for you. So that's that that's the highlight folks of uh of our detroit lions coverage because now well, we're not necessarily let's pivot let's pivot to the other semi highlight which is tj hawkins sure because we want to talk about the stuff that matters there you go and then we'll be <laughs> and then we'll be done and then we'll be done <laughs> we'll be done because uh yeah tj hawkinson right now to me at least he is that he's become the new zach Ertz, and not in that zach Ertz is going to, or that he's going to fade away like Zach Ertz did last year and just drift off into the shadow realm. But that he is kind of the guy trapped in that purgatory at four. He's not necessarily part of the big three. I think he's better than anyone else from five down. I think he's right there firmly in the middle in a tier all by his lonesome at number four on the tight end list. We are like on an island in that though. If Are you with me? Am I speaking for you or... No, I have TJ Hawkinson in my personal rankings at tight end four, and he okay. is in that Zach Ertz. He's not by himself like Zach Ertz was last year, right? And then there's other years where you could reference, but last year, Zach Ertz was tight end four, and he was literally a yeah. tier one. I don't have it that way, but TJ Hawkinson is the number one tight end for me in tier two. Right. He's the guy that I'm targeting if if I want to maybe to be fair. When you're looking at my rankings, I don't have Hawkinson in a tier by himself. To me, I think he is the clear guy at four, but... I do have him in my tier two with you as well. I, I, but he's right there with it's him and Andrews and then Fant and everything yeah, else. Everything else. That. Yeah, exactly. But what's so, interesting is right now in, he is number four at tight end in the ECR, but he's number six at tight end in the ADP behind Andrews and Pitts. And the gap between him, Pitts, and Andrews just keeps getting larger and larger. And I'm not understanding that. Well, we and, talked about pits in the Atlanta show. So yeah. that's that's that hype train is taking off into the stretch. And we talked about Andrews as well, the Baltimore show. before. But yes. I, I mean, both of these guys, it started out as Hawkinson was the number four far and away. And now Pitts keeps moving up for whatever reason. Andrews keeps creeping up. And Hawkinson has kind of just stood in place here right at the back end of the fifth round. Back end five, top end of the sixth round is where TJ Hawkinson is currently going. It's still two rounds better than the next tier of guys, which is Goddard, Fant, and Logan Thomas. But yeah, he's he's kind of floated into his own little zone. He, extreme value, in my opinion. Mine as well. I would be happy to pass on the hype train of Kyle Pitts and the Baltimore Ravens hype train in general that has Mark Andrews getting taken along with it. And I think what might be happening is people are kind of doing what we're doing now. We're kind of talking about, hey, Detroit's going to be really, really bad. Yep. And I think they're, I think they might be a little scared of that, thinking yeah, that maybe I, they're not going to be able to move the ball. Whereas to me, I view that the other way. They're going to have to throw a million billion mm -hmm. times a game, right? And that's the scientific explanation. Well, I feel like this is going to go back to what we talked about last episode with Denver, right? 
where it's TJ Hogginson is a great tight end. He's a really talented player and he's going to be force fed targets, but people don't want it because of a bad QB situation. So they're, they're fading it and taking the quote unquote sexier picks because people like Lamar and people think Matt Ryan still has something left. Plus the hype train that is Kyle Pitts anyway. So you're fading TJ Hawkinson because of Jared Goff. And I think that's a backwards way of thinking, especially at tight end. That's what I was just explaining. Yeah. That's what I was just saying. He's, he's, he's getting pushed down because they're afraid of the situation where I would argue that it should be the opposite. He's going to, he should be getting elevated almost because of the situation, because there's no one else to throw to and they're going to have to throw. So that's, that's, that's the whole, I'd be happy to have him at that, at that, uh, at that investment level. So probably roster quite a bit of it. But again, we reference this almost every show, it feels like. Uh, if you don't get one of the big three and you want to punt the whole position, not necessarily the worst idea. But if you can get Hawkinson in a bargain because people are willing to fade it, I would do it. Yep. And then what, we'll address the final part of this. The wide receiver. All right, and that's court. it. Goodbye. We'll yeah, see goodbye. you next week, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, we have to do it. We have to talk about wide receiver. So wide receiver is a total teardown rebuild, as I referenced a little while ago. Just the whole, the whole team is. But especially here, you'll notice the large hole because and hold your nose folks because the number one wide receiver on paper in Detroit this year is Brashard Perriman. <laughs> they also brought in Tyrell Williams who yep. is who is theoretically healthy after missing time uh, in uh, Las Vegas. And then they drafted Amon Ross St. Brown who I happen to like quite a bit. He's uh, coming out of college. He's a uh, he's a very very interesting player to watch play. He's very very electric and he's got pretty good hands. Uh, they also have Quintez Cephas still from uh, from last year's draft. Right. And they have uh, Damian Ratley and Sage Surratt. And there, there's just a lot of names on this sheet of paper. And none of them really matter. Because with Brashard Perriman leading it out of the charge, I don't care. He's still in the 60s for me. It doesn't matter. I'm not interested in this for fantasy purposes. I've been burnt on this. And I don't know if anybody feels differently about this in the community or they really want you're still expecting some sort of huge return to form from Paraman, but for me, I just don't want the headache. In my own personal rankings, I have him at 67, and he's the primary pass catcher, and I just don't care for out of the wide receiver room. How did, do you do? You have any interest in any of the names that I rattled off there? Uh, I think the one I'm most interested in is to see what happens with Amon Ross St. Brown, the fourth round pick. To me uh, as well. Yeah, he's he's fighting with Quintez Cephas to to try to be the primary slot receiver. You've got Williams and Perryman on the outside, but I, I'm with you. I just do not care. Right now in ADP, you've got Amon Ross St. Brown as the number one Detroit pass catcher, the wide receiver, I should say, uh, at wide receiver 66. And Perryman at wide receiver 78. And literally the only reason that's the case is because it's wide receiver 66, but that's 206 overall which would be the 18th round so you're either in an extremely deep draft or he's just not being drafted at all you don't have a single wide receiver going in draftable range for the lions perriman is the top guy in the ecr just ahead of saint brown but again you're in the 70s i have saint brown at 57 but that's simply because i wanted to have him in draftable range he's one of those guys that i would love to target if for whatever reason I spent a 14th, 15th round pick on kicker defense and I had a 16th round pick to take a skill position player, which I will do occasionally just to change it up a little bit, 
he's one of those guys that's going to fall into that 16th round category that I'm going to take a dart throw on and see maybe something comes of it. That's exactly how I feel about it. There's only one name that I that I yeah. feel like anybody needs to know out of the the wide receiver room, and it's Amon Ra St. Brown. And I would do the exact same thing. At the end of my draft, he's the one that I would add right at the end because there's very little risk to doing so. Somebody has to catch some of these passes as a wide receiver, and he's the one that I think has the best shot based on what he was able to do in college and based on what the training camp reports are coming out that he's picking it up relatively quickly and just given the wide open opportunity, I think he has a rare shot to be one of these rookies that walks on basically to a team and immediately can be their best wide receiver. It doesn't happen that often in the NFL, but I think this is one of those sort of rare circumstances where that's the case. So if I can get it on the ground floor of Amon Ross St. Brown for nothing, I I'm more than happy to do so because your other options in that range are not great. You know, you're, there's there's not that much that you're really passing on to do it. Whereas he has the unique upside here where he can get himself established very early and and run a lot of meaningful routes out of the slot for you. So somebody's got to catch these passes. And I think he's got the best shot. You would think, right? Yeah. Well, and he also could be cut for nothing at that point, right? It's the end of your draft. Who cares? He took a shot on something. It yep. didn't pan out. Exactly. It matter. There's no risk to this. So I would be happy to do that. He's good enough in my eyes to merit that level of consideration. And so. We said it was going to be a short show, and uh, I believe it is because there is not much else to yeah, talk about. All here. things considered, yep. that's really it. So there is that's that's going to probably wrap it up. I cannot stress enough how little you want that Detroit Lions defense. Even if you're a Detroit Lions fan and you're listening to this, please see reason. Do not invest in that. And you know, Randy Bullock is Randy Bullock. There's nothing that I'm really interested in there either. So <sighs> good luck, Detroit. I'm sorry, guys. It's going to be a really rough year, I think, in terms of real NFL football, but. They should have a very, very nice draft pick to go out and find their quarterback of the future. But we will see you all tomorrow to talk about the unfolding saga that is the Green Bay Packers. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevier. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!